I want to now talk about the money. <laughs> so I'm going to bring Young and Jim uh, onto the virtual stage. Uh, Young, we'll kick it off with you. You you have um, actually, first of all, you've, you've joined the organization at North York General uh, not too long ago. Really interested in your views on kind of how North York General's coping with some of the financial challenges in the last 18 months, um, things that you guys are thinking about going forward, and then and then we'll uh, we'll move to Jim. Thanks, so, Lydia, yeah, and uh, greetings to all. Uh, pleasure to be here today. And, and really, what, the nice thing about coming towards sort of the end of the program is, I you know, I got a real nice opportunity to sort of pull together some threads and themes that have been spoken to by my my panel fellow panelists here this morning. So, you know, no question. And uh, I'll just preface, you know, I've been a, have the privilege of being with North York now for about seven or eight months. I've lost track of time. Uh, but you know, so my commentary really reflect, you know, even my prior organization and quite frankly, conversations I have with my peers across the province. Um, this, the, what North York, I would say, is experiencing is no different than uh, all hospitals uh, and many health system players, period, across the province, whether you're in long-term care, home, community care-based, et cetera. But I will certainly speak to the world I know best right now, which is in terms of the hospital piece. So, you know, I think it's important to look back in terms of, you know, 18 months ago when this all started. You know, the context in which, you know, we all responded. And I think, you know, yes, there have been lessons learned from the past to some degree that have been applied. Um, yes, as organizations like the hospital, we're accustomed to dealing with infectious diseases and outbreaks, but never of this scale and magnitude or never this complexity that has disrupted how we work and how we work within a system. And so when that moment occurred, I distinctly recall this, and, my, and this was with my prior organization. What I recall is this urgent call to action to say, okay, here we are now, first COVID case in the hospital. What are we going to do? And what do we need to do? And this rallying, which is phenomenal to see, uh, and with the very clear mandate and message, job number one, as it should be, make sure everybody is safe. The patients, the community, staff, physicians, and, and others who are uh, within the organization, people need to be safe. And what do we need to do adjust? And, uh, <laughs> As Mari indicated, in another overused term, pivot around our operations to do to do just that. Quite frankly, not anticipating at that point that it would be where we are today, but we are where we are today. And as we undertook that mandate, frankly, it was to some degree not spoken, but let's do what we need to do. It was done to some degree with whatever it costs. That is what it felt like from a financial perspective in terms of the response. For, again, for very good reason, whatever it costs, do what we need to do and adjust our operations. Yes, did we think about how we would reallocate resources? And you heard some of those examples from our, our, our federal panelists this morning in terms of certain staff who worked in area, other areas were reallocated to work in, in different areas and play different roles as we move forward. Different challenges, ironically, and interestingly enough, costs associated with executing that because time and effort was required to understand who those people were, et cetera to make those choices and decisions to understand, you know, what that asset base of people was and how they could best utilize those resources. But pivots all over the place, right? You had to figure out how you controlled uh, and increase your security operating costs, right? As you controlled entry and access, access points and egress points for the organization. Uh, it's well documented in terms of PPE, the expansion of bed capacity. Did you have enough ventilators or not? Mad dash on those kinds of things and beds at the outset. Uh, and a whole host of things in terms of enhanced ICAC practices, environmental services or housekeeping practices and resources to keep environments safe uh, and clean. And quite honestly, we also are a system that rely heavily on volunteers. Volunteers are a critical foundation in connection to our community that work with us 
on day-to-day -day basis, and those volunteers were cut off as well. Couple that with the fact that when you have less people coming through the hospital, all hospitals in Ontario and Canada largely also recline other sources of revenue outside of the public funding realm. You know, the most obvious ones become things such as parking, our various retail and commercial operations that we may operate within our facilities, you know, whether it's food, various food services. Um, I don't know of a hospital in Canada that doesn't have at least one Tim Hortons um, that's functioning somewhere and or other, other sort of retail operations for folks to enjoy as part of their experience as employees and quite frankly, visitors and essential care partners who come to the institution. All these things got disrupted. So it really was the perfect storm of let's get going, do what we need to do, whatever it costs, we'll figure that out. And by the way, along the way, we're not gonna make as much revenue as well and, and sacrifice that because it's the right thing to do to in the interest of controlling foot traffic, volume, spacing, ensuring appropriate spacing, et cetera. Fast forward 18 months and here we are. Uh, and you've heard from my colleagues on the panel today in various shapes and form the question of, so how do we afford to get out of this and how do we afford to rebuild differently and transform? Not an easy question to be answered. And quite frankly, as I was hearing all the various ideas and wonderful things that have been done in our other organizations, you know, the dollar signs just kept going off in the back of my mind and say, well, that costs money too, and that costs money too. And there's a reality and a challenge there. Um, but I think where we're at right now, and when I think about our organization and certainly the experience of you know, my colleagues when I talk to others, is we're at a very delicate pivot point where we know that it's unsustainable uh, to continue in this trajectory. We know that there's an imperative here and a real opportunity to build upon some of the things that Mari and others have talked about in terms of the transformation of how we deliver care and how we operate on the back end uh, to shift our cost structure, deliver a better experience for patients, families, and quite frankly, hopefully employees as well. That takes time and energy, uh, but we've got a workforce and people who are tired. People who are tired um, and it is very difficult times, and I've had, I've had this conversation actually ironically in my last organization, where I sat down with physicians and said, you know, what can we do? How do we do this? And he said to me, and I understood this completely, he says, at that point in time, I said, Jan, honestly, if you talk to me about budget cuts, I think I like you, but I'd have to strangle you right now. Now is not the time. And quite honestly, I don't believe he's alone, right? Because now we're still in a mode right now where we are struggling uh, we struggle to sort of desire to do what we want to do, which is catch up and start to work through the backlog of individuals who desperately are waiting for their care. Uh, and it's not easy. So it's really striking the human balance of respecting where people are at, where the organization is at culturally, emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, but also bringing attention to the fact that this isn't sustainable. So what do you do going forward? So just a couple of different thoughts in, in my mind, and I, and I don't pretend to have the, the silver bullet here, and, and uh, I think lots of great ideas have been talked about here, but you know, I think what you hear is this, where we're at right now as a system and what we've had to deal with, um, you know, these are as a result of choices that we've made as a collective that get us to the place where we are right now in terms of when I think about data and infrastructure on that side. That's where we are right now. And so we have to figure out a path forward uh, into climate pieces. So these things, when you think about that long legacy of decisions that have led us to where we are and the circumstances that we find ourselves, uh, as Bob mentioned, access isn't a new issue, but it's certainly been heightened as a result of these past 18 months. So what are we gonna do now going forward? We're not gonna flip this on a dime. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. So I do think in real practical terms, I think we have to think about making sure that we're conscious of today, ensure that people are aware, because that's where it starts, first of all. Um, I don't think we can be shy about acknowledging the reality of today, 
but also balancing that with bringing building awareness organization wide. And I don't just mean amongst leaders, all folks uh, around. So this is where we are at, okay? And, and to really paint that picture so people understand. Because uh, my experience has been, it is amazing the ideas that start to come to bear once people are aware. And it's small little things that can make a big difference on a day-to-day -day basis, and those things can grow. Uh, so it's not necessarily all about the big transformative ideas, but it's just those little choices along the way. So when I heard Pete say something about, well, hang, you know, hang on a second, guys, we implemented great conservative conservation strategies. And then when I heard Pete say, and I think rightly so with good reason, hang on a second, we're at a different place right now. We've stabilized for supply. Maybe we can let the gap foot off the gas. My question would be, well, that's true, we could. But if it really was a good practice, and that's a great practice to sort of sustain, why can't we sustain them? A small, tangible example, but something to really kind of question. So I think that's first and foremost. I think the other thing we can start to do is really think about what are, as you think about the long game, but even interim, like what are some of those targets you would want to set? So we, you hear routinely across the industry, we need to sustain and grow virtual care as it, not just this thing we call it because it just becomes quite frankly, something we don't even have to label. It's just one other means of delivering care in the future. So, but for now, as Mari talked about, you know, they've set targets. I think that's important to also do when you think about that financially in terms of where we want to get to uh, over a period of time in different aspects. Um, and all these things, you know, it's not just about sort of the budget, if you will, but it's the things that Mari's talking about in terms of how does that contribute to sustainability and that transformation of the business model. So set some targets uh, and work towards those pieces and have sort of tangible work plans in that regard. Um, the other thing I'll just simply say from a practical standpoint, from a finance leadership perspective and team point of view, don't be shy. I think there's a real opportunity, and I, and I know this occurs in many organizations, but so it's really more stating, I think, hopefully, as a reinforcement point, I think, for many who are on this uh, with us today. And that is to say, please don't simply look to finance to let me know where you stand in terms of budget and spend and how, you know, and what, the, you know, what those kinds of things are. And do actively consider and integrate finance into those operations table where those choices are being made um, in the future as we go forward. Because it would be amazing to see what kind of ideas or insights that can be provided. Uh, and if they don't have the answers, at the very least, they have better understanding of what those changes are and the implications for the organization. And then it can help inform strategies as we move forward. So really think about those um, finance individuals as key partners um, that are really there more than just letting you know where you stand from a fiscal standpoint. So I'll, I'll pause there, uh, Lydia, just because I know we're, we're, I'm conscious of time as well, and I know we want to, and I certainly want to give Jim an opportunity uh, to address sort of the thoughts that he has and uh, can have a bit of dialogue. So thank you and appreciate that. That's great, Young. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, you, you've given us all uh, a couple of really, I think, really important things to think about long term. One is every organization has made a number of pretty significant, I'll say pivots. I know we keep using that word and we're getting really sick of using that word, but, but it's true that people, organizations have made significant changes to deal with the challenges of COVID. So one of the questions you've challenged all of us to think about is like, how do we actually sustain some of those positive changes that were made as opposed to kind of just going back to the way we did things before, right? Um, and I think the other thing you've, you've raised is how do you make sure finance is at the table? Not at the end when somebody's asking for money or looking for budget, but really how do you kind of work together? Um, because these are going to be very challenging fiscal times for all of us going forward. And so, so how do we make sure that we've got a fully, I'll say, multidisciplinary team 
including um, you know finance and, and supply chain yeah. to Pete's earlier comment um, to help. Yeah, and maybe things. I'll just add one comment to that. Yeah. To those observations, and that is, you know, it also boils down to when you think about how you sustain and expand some of those positive changes that may be yeah. in place today as a result of, in response to the pandemic. You know, one of the things that I think is a real practical way to sort of frame that conversation is to not ask, not especially in the context of resuming services and catch up and all those sorts of uh, clinical services resumption activities. The question really becomes perhaps challenging those clinical programs and or other aspects of the business, quite frankly, is tell me why you need to go back, right? So that outpatient clinic that has now shifted their balance of in-person and virtual, why do you need to go back to yeah. that piece? in the way you did, uh, especially if there are real good reasons to sustain and continue. But, and there may be reasons to revert back, there's no question about that, but it's starting with that question first, as opposed to assuming that it's even an option just to simply yeah. go back. Yeah, no, a great point, great point. Speaking to Jim next, um, uh, Jim, I know like transformation is something that you guys have actually been going through for, for the last number of, I'll say years, it sounds like. Um, and I, if I recall, you guys actually, did your go live right before COVID, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, with your work to implementation. And so I'm really interested to understand kind of knowing, you know, what you've got now and the challenges of COVID. Like we've heard a little bit from Pete, but I'd love to hear from your, from your front end perspective, kind of what you guys are doing specifically in your organization, um, just picking up on some of the ideas that, that Young's put on the table. Thank you, good morning. In the years leading up to the pandemic, uh, CHOP uh, had made a decision that it was time to upgrade our ERP system uh, to take advantage of more modern technology. Um, CHOP had a, spent a tremendous amount of time, effort, and, and of course, money on our electronic medical record system, our, our EMR, which is EPIC, and our ERP system was showing its age. We had, we had implemented Lawson uh, to prepare CHOP for Y2K, um, so uh, we really were in a position where we needed to revamp that system and, and not just the system, all the processes that had come along with that system. Many of our processes had come into existence as we bolted systems onto, uh, into, onto Lawson to accomplish business tasks, such as invoice processing and, and, and financial reporting. It all worked most of the time, uh, but it, it, at times it felt like a bit of like, of a, like a house of cards. Uh, we had all these systems and all these uh, processes that were core really to the ERP happening outside of the ERP. So after going through a, a selection process, as you, as you said, CHOP did choose Workday, and it would also replace a number of our folded systems. So we'd be able to move a lot of that functionality back into our, into our one system, into our ERP. So working with Workday and, and KPMG as our implementation partner, we implemented uh, human capital management, supply chain management, which Pete, Pete uh, had talked about a little bit earlier, and finance. Uh, we'd also have a few more core systems around Workday. So obviously Epic is our EMR, and that would still obviously be in place. Um, and then Coupa, Kronos, and Strata. Coupa is purchasing rec, Strata is uh, decision support, and Kronos is timesheets, obviously, and scheduling. One of the big things as we were going through the Workday implementation, and, and really it became fortuitous as, as the pandemic hit, was we really wanted to think differently about, about how we were going to do things in Workday. We didn't just want to replicate what we were doing in our, in our old ERP, you know, in, in, in Workday. So a lot of attention in particular was paid to the development of our chart of accounts, uh, which is called the Foundation Data Model or, or FDM in Workday. CHOP is made up of 15 companies. And those companies came on Lawson at different times and they kind of built their own chart of accounts and it made enterprise level reporting very difficult. 
We did share a chart of accounts, but we used it differently. We used values differently within the call centers, within the account structure. And it made it very difficult, again, to do enterprise level reporting. So one of the things we knew we wanted to do was standardize the FDM uh, and also centralize the management of it when we went live on Workday. So, so pull back the management, the creation of values back into our finance, core finance department, corporate finance department. And these were very hard changes. And you know, if anyone's uh, going to be going through a, an implementation or a system conversion, this is this is the ideal time, obviously, to make some big changes. It's it's very tempting. There's a lot of pushback, I think, um, to when you when you're trying to make changes. People would spend a lot of time complaining about Lawson, but then once you start wanting to make some changes, it, all of a sudden, some of those things uh, there's less complaining about them. But um, working through that process and, and getting through that during implementation really paid off in the end. As we as we went through that, one of our lines was we don't want to just do a lift and shift. Uh, we, we didn't want to take all the time, money, and effort just to replicate what we were doing at Lawson and Workday. We really wanted to think differently. Uh, I know Pete mentioned it. Uh, we went live on January 1st, 2020. That's just 73 days. So just 73 days later, uh, after go live, we went, you know, we went completely remote. On Friday the 13th, March 13th, 2020, the pandemic hit, and CHOP had said that all non-location critical staff would now, we were mandated to work from home we were still very much trying to stabilize Workday. So this was not an ideal situation. Um, we, were, we were gathering in conference rooms almost every day, really kind of working through issues and, and, and trying to move the, move the product forward. We, we had a successful go live, but just with something this big, there was just still a lot of work to do. Uh, so going completely remote and really, frankly, we, we never hardly ever worked remote. You know, it was very rare that anyone worked remote. So we went from almost never working remote to doing it every single minute of the day. It was like jumping in an ice cold pool, very shocking to the system. So when, when the pandemic hit, uh, there was a tremendous appetite for information and data. And, 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 and Pete had said earlier, even different data, it wasn't just the normal data we would always present um, because of the way things were happening and how quickly things were happening. People wanted information like they, never, they had never asked for before or, or had never seen before. Um, things around patient volume, staffing levels and supply cost. So, and in particular, people wanted to track exactly what costs were related to COVID. And, and in our old system, this would have been extraordinarily challenging. But because of the FDM and how we had designed processes and how we had designed our accounts, um, we were able to create a number of projects in, in Workday that were, were able to track the expenditures. If there were purchase recs moving through Coupa or expense reports, things along those lines, we were able to tag them with these, with these projects and then report on them later. You know, today we're finding a lot of use there as we have to go back and report to uh, DHHS, Department of Health and Human Services here in the U.S. We have to go back and report um, how we spent uh, dollars responding to COVID. So uh, having that, you know, not having to worry about thinking back 18 months ago, 12 months ago, how what, what these things were for, we have them all on a, uh, on a project to be able to report that out. And this was this was high level. We were reporting this information out um, at our at our monthly closed meeting to the CFO, and also reporting it out across the enterprise to, to various parts of, of management across the enterprise. And one of the key changes that that happened with the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, a lot of our reporting was pretty siloed. Again, we had to do our consolidated financials for for audit purposes, for GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles. But when we did operational reporting, the practice plans each did their operating reporting, the hospital research, everyone really comes to their own drummer. When the pandemic hit, 
um, there was a, a desire to con consolidate all this, all this work and really start looking at all of our financial information from an enterprise perspective. This was the first time in history that something really hit that impacted every area of our business. So looking at our business as a, as a whole, looking at the enterprise as a whole became critical. And this is where we found that that FDM design was really paying off. Uh, we were able to run enterprise level reports right out of our uh, right out of workday, and drill and pivot into the details to quickly provide information and, and, and answer questions. Uh, we 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 relied pretty heavily in our old world with with Lawson on on a data warehouse and on Excel, and we would put things together and and it would take a it was a very manual effort to put together. Uh, information and reporting, uh, particularly at an enterprise level. Using, you know, we would use Excel to create, to use it, the data. That just really, given how much people want, how quickly people wanted information and the types of information they wanted, that was just not sustainable. One of the things in, uh, in particular that, that was, that was wanted to be looked at was enterprise level FTE reporting, uh, which was something we never had before. Um, and when we, when March hit, we, we actually didn't have the enterprise level FT reporting in place at that time yet. It was one of those things that was, was kind of on the, on the to-do list, um, but we had to quickly wrap our heads around it. Fortunately, we had, built with, with, we had built Workday with the idea that we were going to report on the enterprise. We were going to report on the enterprise. So we had all the data there. We just had to put together the information to be able to present it out. Um, and this, for the first time, allowed us to be able to present all the practice plan research and hospital uh, FT data in one, in one place. And... Uh, another decision that was made during the uh, implementation was to use it was to create a work tag for payer that allowed us to again produce information at the enterprise level. So the importance of this was being able to really get a payer mix, both gross and net, for the hospital, for individual practice plans, or for everything together. We didn't have everything in place. We likely shortened the amount of time it would have taken us to stabilize as we were running around, you know, like crazy people, well, virtually running around like crazy people trying to trying to get information out and trying to uh, answer questions, put together this enterprise level reporting that, that, had, that we were able to drill into the details and pivot into the data to answer questions. And really for what was happening, really for the first time was finance was, was being asked to present financial information multiple times a month, every two weeks, really, in, in various forums and various large meetings. I shudder at the thought of how we would have done that. Uh, it would have been a lot, of, a lot of hours in Excel and trying to get things done. And I think that's the big takeaway is, you know, as much as you know, the, the accountant in me, as the, you know, I loved Excel, uh, but, but getting away from it and using the system for reporting analysis is a, just a much more efficient and reliable process. And, and it just really allowed us to quickly pivot into information and get information out. Like I said, every two weeks, uh, people wanted, you know, there was the old monthly close concept was out the window. People wanted, they needed information every two weeks. You know, the working model over the past 18 months uh, has been a remote model. Uh, we, we have slowly are having staff come back into the office, uh, but really it's still largely remote. And because of that, and just the working model, the number of meetings and the number of emails have gone through the roof. So, had, you know, getting away from Excel and not being able to play in it, you know, we're not longer able to play in Excel. Uh, we really have to get the information out of the system, get it out and get onto the next task or the next meeting or answer the next email. Uh, there's just, there's just no, there's no, uh, there's just such a demand, continued demand for information. Joel, th uh, Jim, thank you for your for your comments. I think you know what what's really really clear through your comments. The the rest of the panelists is is that without the information, it, it would be a lot harder to make the decisions to make the kind of real time um, uh, uh, you know creative choices 
uh, that you would have been able to make otherwise. So, so thanks for sharing your journey. Um, it sounded like it was pretty tough, uh, but uh, it sounds like you guys have come out the other end and just listening to, to the two of you talk about your organization now um, is actually quite, quite inspiring uh, to hear what you guys have been able to accomplish. Bob, I'm going to give it to you for, for a, maybe a quick reflection and um, a question for either Young or, or Jim. Young, you know, every deputy minister thinks they can improve cost effectiveness in the health system by improving procurement, supply chain operations, and the general philosophy that you have from Queens Park or any other provincial uh, center is we need to make it bigger. We need to procure for the whole province. That's the way we'll gain value on the roughly 18% of what we spend in healthcare on stuff. What's your view? Do we need to be bigger? Do we need to have a provincial procurement process in Ontario? I guess my thought would be, generally speaking, the notion of uh, scale and economies of scale applies, and I think the concept works. I think the, the real, where the money hits the road in terms of the value of that investment and getting to that kind of scale lies in the other aspects of the supply chain management. That is the logistics and the distribution. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you get better value for price. If you can't get the product to where it needs to be, when it needs to be there, then there isn't much value. I'll say demonstrated gains in the overall P2P process, not just the front end procurement that I think I got a chance to witness. You know, when I think about my former colleagues who I work more closely with in Ontario Health West, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, when we we're all scrambling to find masks and gowns and other such things, um, lots of strong coordinated effort by my colleagues out there uh, and really created an OH West network which worked in conjunction with the province because there were many things that were still sort of centrally controlled at that point in terms of the, the procurement and distribution of key supplies. Uh, but at that level, in that regional level, was really where it became effective in terms of not just buying it, but making sure the distribution networks were effective. Um, so I guess the bottom line answer, that I think there's economic potential, Bob, um, but I think you got to think through the entire P2P process. That's great. Well, folks, we've only got a few minutes left. I'm going to hand it back to Dina uh, to bring it home. Dina, give us your final remarks, uh, and then uh, we'll wrap up today. No, thanks. Thanks, Lydia. So, you know, it strikes me that um, these are pretty unique opportunities to come together across the enterprise and talk about our observations and opportunities that we're seeing and with our workforce, supply chain, with finance. And I think one thing we've learned over the past 18 months more than ever before is enterprise issues take enterprise solutions. And so I'm very thankful for opportunities for, for us to collaborate with one another um, and thankful for the partnership of um, many of the participants. I mean, that <laughs> so uh, Pete and uh, Jim are being very kind about their workday implementation, but can you imagine taking your new ERP spin in the midst of a pandemic? I mean, truly remarkable what that team was able to navigate and in the midst of it help us at Workday think differently about looking at supplier risk and supplier diversity and just immediately contributed to our community. The team at Spectrum went through an implementation last year and went live uh, in January and then Mari and her team at CHEO went through an evaluation. And so to think about each of those efforts being quite heroic in and of themselves in the midst of a pandemic and, and still have enough energy to come together today and to share you know, your stories and your perspectives um, really benefits all of us. And I think you know, it proves the hypothesis that we're only going to, to nudge away at this, this issue of healthcare if we're doing it together. So thank you, Lydia, for, 
for um, facilitating and for the Longwoods team for giving us this forum and certainly Bob for um, for your thought leadership and helping us guide got our way toward better solutions. Really appreciate it.